Good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? Good. It's, it's great to hear you guys say that back. My name's Isaiah, and I get the privilege to serve here as one of the worship pastors at Fellowship Fayetteville, but I don't normally serve here. I normally serve in the FSM room, so I'm really grateful to worship which, with each of us uh, this morning. If you guys would, can we stand for a moment as we start this morning? We're gonna start the same way that we ended last week, reminding ourselves of Christ as our firm foundation, as reminding our souls of the greatness of our God. So could we just lift up a praise this morning? And I pray that these words wouldn't just be words on a screen, but it would be prayers that we write on our heart, that we believe them this morning. So let's go there together. Let's do it. Let's sing this together. And all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will grind these bones when we sing great, great are you, Lord. All the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will grind these bones will sing. that you're here with us this morning to worship with us, to celebrate with us. Uh, thanks for being here. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Andy Petrie, and I get the great privilege of being able to lead our Celebrate Recovery ministry that meets here every single Friday night at Fellowship Fayetteville. And we've got a couple cool resources and things going on that I want to tell you about here in a moment. But before we do, uh, we've got a couple cool things going on as well. Uh, if, if you weren't here last week, we started a new series in the book of First Peter, and we're so excited as a church to walk through this book together and, and to look at what it looks like to walk as chosen exiles, as followers of Jesus that know that this earth is not our home, but yet, how do we still engage with this world in a way that roots us in our faith in Jesus, but allows people to see the goodness of Jesus in us. And we're, we're so excited as a church to walk through that together. And our team has put together some really great resources to help us walk through that together this summer. And so first off, we've got a bookmark that's out in the foyer. Uh, and, and we'd love for you to pick that up to help you out as we're walking through our daily scripture readings. And then we've got some online resources on our brand new fellowship website. Is anybody else excited about that? There we go. There we go. Now, it, the, the new website is really awesome. Really encourage you to check it out. It's, it's easier to use. It's easier to navigate. And, and we've, we're able to put some cool things on there. And so for this series, we've got our daily scripture readings on there. We've got uh, our discussion guides on there. And then we've also got a, a link to our uh, sermon notes podcast. And if you haven't listened to that, that's where our teachers get on each week and talk about the passage that they're getting ready to teach. And some of the things that have been sticking out to them and some of the things that they just didn't have enough time to put in uh, that week's teaching. And so I really encourage you to check that out. Well, hey, I mentioned a, a minute ago that I lead our Celebrate Recovery ministry here at Fellowship Fayetteville. Uh, and 
if you're unfamiliar with what Celebrate Recovery is, Celebrate Recovery is a ministry of Fellowship Fayetteville that is designed to help our church be a safe place that no matter what baggage or struggles we might be dealing with in our life, to know that there's a safe place to find healing and hope in the context of community and authentic relationship with, with other believers. And I know for me and my life, it's been instrumental in helping me work through things like my pornography addiction, my struggles with alcohol, dealing with different uh, mental health stuff, dealing with my family dysfunction, and a whole lot of other things. And over the past eight and a half years, I know it's absolutely changed my life. And we've got a couple resources that we'd love for y'all to check out. One of them is up here on the screen. It's our, uh, our podcast for our Celebrate Recovery here at Fellowship. Uh, it's called Hope in Recovery, and it's designed to be a, a place for, for us to hear stories of hope and life change, uh, to, to gain some new tools as we might be dealing with our struggles, because there's not a single one of us in here that's not a broken person living in a broken world. And in particular, if you want to check that out this week, uh, you can find it through the website, you can find it through that QR code here, anywhere you get your podcast. But we've got a, a three-part series on addictions and what does that look like, but also We've got a life change story from a friend of mine named Terry and about how God has pulled him out of so many different relational struggles, out of an addiction to gambling, and and what does it look like now for him to lean on Jesus each day? And we want to invite you as well, if you've never checked out Celebrate Recovery, we've got something really special happening at the end of June. We've got a special night on what it looks like to build a healthy escape plan. And so what does that mean? It just means how do we really intentionally address the struggles that we've got going on in our life? And so if you might be dealing with something in here and it's felt like it's been hard to gain traction in that, or maybe you're walking with people in your life, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's somebody that you disciple that you're looking for some practical tools to walk alongside them with, check it out. It's going to be this last Friday of June, June 30th, 7 o'clock. You don't have to register for it. Just come to Celebrate Recovery on that Friday night, and we'd love to see you there. Well, with that said, uh, let me pray for us as we continue on our morning worshiping Jesus. Lord God, we love you. Thank you for your goodness, your grace, your love for us, and the way that who you are and what you've done defines who we are. And it informs what we do. And so, God, I pray that this morning, because of who you are, because of your sacrifice on the cross, would you draw us closer to you? And may we connect our hearts with yours this morning. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning, we take a moment, just engage with confession. We're going to take a moment right here before we sing so alive. All across this room, just take a moment to close your eyes, be still. Normally we start our morning in confession where we uh, say, Heavenly Father, and we read this confession together as as a body, but I wanted to give us a moment just to consider uh, personally, what does it look like to, to just confess, to go to the Father's feet and just to sit for a moment to lay whatever you're walking in here with. Maybe you're walking in this room off of a really hard work week, or maybe you're walking in the room just on top of the world, you're off of vacation with family. Whatever you're walking in the room with this morning, I just wanna give a moment to be still. And then we'll sing of exactly who God is, of his greatness and his glory, but let's just take a moment here. Church, we say this together. Heavenly Father, have mercy on us. We have not loved you as you deserve. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not obeyed you as we should. Lord, forgive us our sin. We are in need of a savior. And in our need, Christ didn't leave us there, but he actually gave his life on a cross that was due our name and was resurrected from the grave to give us hope of a restored life with him. So church, believe the good news. 
Jesus died for us. Jesus rose for us. Jesus intercedes for us. In him, we are new creation. In him, we have forgiveness of sin. In him, we have a savior. To God be the glory forever and ever. To him be the glory. So could we stand and sing to that end? If the rocks cry out in silence, so will I. 
down my heart through all of my failure and pride. Yes, you did, Father. On a hill you created the light of the world, abandoned in darkness to die. As you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear. Where you lost your life, so I could find it here. If you left the grave, but I do so.
the reading of the word this morning. First Peter 1, 3 through 12. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has called us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for the salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Y'all can have a seat. Man, what a passage. Thank y'all for reading that for us. All right, Fellowship Fayetteville, take a deep breath. Let it out. We made it. It's summer. It's summer in an SEC college town. There's just something about it. Don't get me wrong, I love our college students. I love having them in town. I love when they come to worship with us. I love the students who come on Sunday night to worship with our college team. But it's nice to be on MLK and the light change and you can go. <laughs> it's nice to walk in a table, a restaurant and get a table, or at least soon we'll be able to. Shareholders is over. We got baseball tournaments going on, right? There's always stuff happening. But I really enjoy a college town in the summer. And I, as you know by now, we're studying the book of First Peter this summer here at Fellowship Fayetteville. My name's Michael. I have the privilege of serving on the community team here. And last week, my coworker, Garland, who's also on the community team, set up this book of First Peter for us. And I know a lot of us missed it. It was Memorial Day weekend. I want to encourage you, if you weren't here, if you haven't listened to that sermon, go back and grab that podcast or watch the, the video. They're all available on our new website, and, and you'll be blessed by it. And it will set up a lot of things for you for the rest of our study of 1 Peter. And one of the things Garland really leaned into last week, you heard Andy mention it in the welcome this morning, is this phrase, elect exiles. Chosen, but displaced. Elect, that means chosen by God. And yet, foreigners living in a foreign place. You're chosen, but somehow you don't belong. Just like Esther just like Daniel. Are you seeing a theme here in what we're doing this year? We too, spiritually speaking, are exiles. Citizens of a heavenly kingdom living in an earthly one. And Peter's gonna spend the next five chapters, or for us, the next 11 weeks, unpacking how to live that way. So go ahead and turn with me, if you would, to 1 Peter. We're gonna continue in chapter one. 1 Peter, it's near the end of your New Testament. It's after Hebrews. It's after James. If you want to, you can go to Revelation and just turn back a few pages and you'll hit it pretty soon. This letter that Peter wrote to these churches that were spread out across what is modern day Turkey. And we might be surprised as we heard in our passage just now that Peter begins a letter to these exiles talking about hope. And as I was thinking about how to connect Peter's ideas in this passage to us today, I remembered a story. It's a story I heard a couple of years ago. It was a story about a football player named Michael Urban. A lot of y'all might remember him. He was a really dynamic receiver for the Cowboys in the 90s. 
And his last contract that he signed with the Cowboys was the richest contract that a wide receiver had ever gotten. It was a guaranteed $15 million. And so the Cowboys said, hey, it's a guaranteed contract. You can get it over the life of the contract, which is five years, or you can have it all now. And this story I heard told on this sports radio show, Michael Irvin said, I'll take the money now. And he talked about going into the locker room of the Cowboys training facility. And there on his chair was an envelope. And in that envelope was a check for $15 million. And he said, I held it up and I looked at it and I thought to myself, I'm rich. But was he? Was he rich? I mean, what did he actually have? He wasn't going to walk out of that training facility with big bags of money. He wasn't going to be able to swim around in it like Scrooge McDuck. What he had was a a note, a promise. That's why we call it a, a promissory note. It was a promise to pay him $15 million. But the truth is, he was in that moment, in fact, rich. He was rich because of whose signature was on that promise, Jerry Jones. Michael Irvin knew what we all know, that based on Jerry Jones' past performance, he could write a check for $15 million and that check would be good. Because of what Jerry Jones had done in the past, Michael Irvin knew that his present had changed because his future was going to be a lot different. And that's what Peter's going to show us about the gospel in our passage today. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 12, it breaks easily into three sections. He starts off talking about our hope for a better future. And that hope gives us joy that informs our life in the present. And it all rests on promises from the past. So let's look at it together in those three pieces, beginning in verse three. Peter opens with this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the opening of the body of the letter. Those first two verses that Garland taught us last week, those are the greeting, which was common in ancient letters. This is how he begins the body of the letter. And he says, blessed be God, praise God. Praise him, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because he says, look what he's done for us. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Man, I hope that sounds familiar. We just wrapped up six weeks in the Risen series studying the resurrection. And as we said over and over in that series, this is the gospel message, that we were all born dead in our sins, but because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we can be made alive through this new birth that Peter's talking about. And I want us to think for just a second about who it is that's writing this. This is Peter, who denied Jesus three times the night before he was crucified. Peter, who ran to the tomb, looked in, found it empty, and walked away wondering. Peter, who had a personal encounter with the risen Jesus even before Jesus appeared to the disciples in the locked room. Peter's heart came alive when he saw the resurrected Jesus, and now he's saying to us, bless God, elect exiles. Praise God for the rebirth of Jesus, for the rebirth that he's given us through the resurrection of Jesus, I should say, because it gives us a hope, a hope that's alive. And he says there's more to this rebirth, Look at the next verse. He says, we're reborn to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who are guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, an inheritance, of course, is something that, by definition, you have to wait for. Think about a wealthy family. Who gets the inheritance? the sons and daughters of the family. Peter says, believers, you were born again into God's family. And so just as those children of the wealthy family, simply by being born into it, get an inheritance, we're born into God's family. And look at the inheritance 
we have to look forward to. It never spoils. It never tarnishes. It never loses its luster. And we don't have to worry about it because it's in the safest place it could possibly be. It's kept in heaven. And so we shouldn't think that we can somehow mess it up, that we can make some mistake that's going to cause us to lose our inheritance, like, say, denying Jesus three times the night before he was crucified. Because look who guards us. It's God himself. It's by God's power that we are guarded by faith until the end. So can someone take your inheritance away? No. Can you squander it? Can you somehow mess up and lose it? Can you have it revoked? No, no, and no, because it's God who gives it, and it's God who, by faith, keeps us. And look what he's keeping us for. Peter says, it's for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, wait a minute. Is our salvation future? See, I thought my salvation happened in 1979. But Peter says here, it's going to be revealed in the last time. So what's Peter saying here? Is our salvation something that happened in the past? Or is it something we experience today? Or is it something that's yet to come? And the answer, of course, is yes. See, over the past hundred years or so, I'm afraid some people have developed what I call a a transactional view of salvation, that salvation is simply something that happened in the past, that salvation is something that happened when you walked the aisle or you prayed a prayer or maybe you threw your pine cone in the fire at camp. And let me be clear, salvation does occur in a moment. There is a moment when we place our faith in Jesus and our sins are transferred to him and paid for on the cross and his perfect righteousness is credited to us. The mistake we make is when we think that it stops there. When we think that it's something that simply happened in the past. See, Peter and the other New Testament writers want us to see that that's not the end. It's the beginning. Just like the birth of a child isn't the end of the process, it's the very beginning. Our rebirth in Christ is the beginning of an experience that, according to this passage, points us forward to a day when we'll experience that salvation in its fullness, a day that we'll actually receive our inheritance. So Peter says this good news, this gospel message of the resurrection of Jesus gives us hope for the future. So next to verses three through five, if you dare to write in your Bible, which I strongly encourage you to do, Next to verses three through five in the margin, write future, because that's what those verses are pointing us to, that glorious day when we'll receive our resurrection bodies, when Jesus will make all things new, when heaven and earth will finally come together. That's a real hope. It's a hope so real, it informs our present. Look at verse six. Peter says, in this, this future hope, you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Peter is putting these two ideas side by side, joy and grief, elect and exile, chosen but displaced from home, joyful but experiencing trials. How can these coexist? Well, Peter says we experience joy in the trials. And he says, this trial, this difficulty, this thing you don't want to endure, it's only going to last a little while. But the joy, it's going to last forever. And we all understand that kind of thinking, don't we? We we all understand just in the course of life, we endure something we don't want to do for the joy that will follow it. If you're a parent, you endure months of sleeplessness for a lifetime of joy raising a child. It's enduring something temporary for something that lasts much longer. We go to the gym and work out, temporarily uncomfortable for the joy of being healthier. I mean, obviously I don't, but some of y'all do. Hey, that's between me and my cardiologist. The brevity of the trial on earth 
It may seem long when we're in the middle of it. You go tell the mother of a nine-week-old that she's in a short season and then duck for what's coming at your head. It may seem long. And you know what? In fact, it may be long until we compare it to eternity. And what Peter says here is it's not just something to be endured. It has a purpose. It actually reveals the genuineness of our faith. This test, it's, it's not a test to see if we pass or fail. It's a test like a goldsmith heating up gold. When gold is heated up, the impurities disappear. So when we see testing the genuineness of our faith, it isn't God testing to see if our faith is real. He already knows that. The test isn't for him. It's for us. It's for us to have an experience. And if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, I guarantee you've been through something hard. Every single one of us. And I'm gonna ask you to do something right now, something you probably don't wanna do. I want you to remember that hard experience for a moment. I know we don't like thinking about difficult days. Go there with me. Remember what that experience was like. And then ask yourself this question. What did God teach me in that? How did my faith sustain me during that time? Was there something I was relying on rather than relying on God that he had to take away so that I could experience him more fully? How did God use that experience to, in effect, burn off impurities in my faith? That's what Peter's talking about. And the truth is, none of us sign up for it. None of us sign up for illness None of us volunteer to lose someone. None of us choose divorce, bankruptcy, job loss. The list goes on and on. But God uses those things to strengthen our faith, to show us our living hope for tomorrow actually sustains us during the difficulties of today. And some of you are in a hard season right now. And I don't want you to think for one second that I'm minimizing it. And I don't want you to hear me saying, buck up, you can do it. Because that's not the message. What I am saying is that by God's grace and power, he will sustain you. And that at the end of that hard season, you're going to see that it results in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus follower, that hard thing that you're going through, the thing you don't want and that you didn't sign up for, the thing that's actually rely, forcing you to rely on God more than ever before, Peter's telling us it's gonna be so worth it. When Jesus is revealed and you see that your endurance through that trial brings him glory and honor. And then he gets right to our present reality. Look at verse eight. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Oh, if you're a Jesus follower, this is a perfect description of how we live. We don't see him, but we love him. We don't see him now, but we believe in him. And that faith gives us this joy that we can't really describe because in it, there's this glimmer. There's this faint echo of the glory we're gonna experience when, there it is again, we experience the salvation of our souls. Peter's saying, yes, you were saved and born again into a living hope, and you will be saved when you experience the fullness of your salvation, and you're being saved as you experience life with him, and you have this joy even in times of trial and suffering. And so, next to verses six through nine, write, present. Because the gospel, this good news of the resurrection of Jesus, it doesn't just give us hope for the future. It gives us joy in the here and now, in the present. 
See, Christianity's never been about getting through this life so we can get to the next. The reality of the resurrection gives us joy now. Peter calls it inexpressible. We can't describe it, but we can experience it. Not someday, today. And all of this is built on promises of the past. So go ahead next to 10 through 12 and write past in the margin. Look at verse 10. Peter says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Who are the prophets Peter's referencing here? Now, pick your favorite. Daniel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel. They all lived hundreds of years before Jesus. And Peter says what they were actually writing about was the grace that we are now experiencing. Because notice who it was that was actually making these predictions. It wasn't the prophets. It was the Spirit of Christ. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Think about what he's saying here. As the Holy Spirit was inspiring these men of God, these prophets, they themselves wanted to know, who is this prophecy about? Just imagine Isaiah as he was writing Isaiah 52 and 53, wondering, maybe even asking the Lord, Lord, who is this? Who is this that will make many righteous through suffering? And Peter says, now we know. It was always about Jesus, the Messiah. And notice the order. He predicted the sufferings and the subsequent glories. See, Jesus' pathway to the throne went through the cross. And Peter wants to remind us, we shouldn't be surprised when there's suffering in our own journey. And then the final verse, verse 12, speaking of these prophets, he says, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the gospel, through the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Those prophecies, those ancient words about the Messiah, they were actually written for us for New Testament people to be able to look back and realize this gospel message that we've heard today was long predicted, long promised. Peter wants us to see how fortunate we are to live now on this side of the cross when all these things that God revealed to the prophets have now been fulfilled in Jesus. Peter says, church, you're experiencing things that angels long to look into. The word picture he paints here is of angels peering out of heaven, looking in wonder at what we are getting to experience through Jesus in the church. And so he wants us to never forget that this good news of the resurrection of Jesus was promised to us in the past. This gospel message didn't come out of nowhere. It didn't just burst into the story with no context. It was long predicted, long expected, and at last, when the time was right, all these prophecies were fulfilled in God's own son, Jesus. Okay, so we've worked through the three big pieces of the passage. Now what I want us to do is just, just step back and look at the whole thing. This whole thing, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 12, in the Greek, it's one long 82-word sentence. So what can we see about the whole thing? Well, first of all, did you notice how often he said you? He says you 14 times. And some of you already know what I'm about to say. Every time he says you 14 times, it's, tr it's correctly translated. It's the second person pronoun and it's plural. It's y'all. Think how that changes how we understand the passage. It's not just about me. It's about us. 
We're all in this together. It's not my inheritance. It's ours. And of course, it's not just my living hope. How much more powerful is it when we have our arms around each other and it's our living hope? And maybe most significantly, how about the testing of the genuineness of our faith? It's all happening in the context of a unified body of Christ followers, just like we have right here at Fellowship Fayetteville. And at the center of all that is Jesus. I don't want us to mistake and think that this book is written about us. It's for us, but it's about Jesus. He mentions his name five times, nine if we include the times that he says him in verse eight. The big idea of 1 Peter 1, 3 through 12 is that the resurrection of Jesus has changed everything for those of us who've been born again in him. And there's actually one word that we didn't really highlight as we worked through, but it pulls the whole passage together. It's the Greek word apocalypto. We get the word apocalypse from it. It simply means unveiling or revelation. And in each of our three big sections, Peter says it's been revealed, it's been revealed. This whole passage is about God's self-revelation to us in Christ. And even that's an act of grace. God didn't owe it to us to reveal himself to us, much less did he owe it to us to come to earth, to take on flesh, to live among us, to die the death that we deserved, to be resurrected, defeating sin and death forever, and then inviting us to partake in that resurrection, to be born into his family. This self-revelation of God in Christ gives us hope and a sure, guaranteed inheritance. It gives us joy that we experience in our day-to-day lives today. And it all rests on the sure promises, the promises given through the prophets by the Holy Spirit. And so how do we respond? I mean, what's the application of a passage like this? Well, over the last several weeks, as I've been studying this and praying and preparing for this morning, we had a big couple of events in the life of our church. In the last two weeks, we have lost two great men of God. And as I considered the lives of Joe Horton and Neil Schmidt, two brothers in Christ, I'm gonna miss, man, am I gonna miss them. And I thought about what they're experiencing right now. See, they're with the Lord. And y'all, I watched them go through some very difficult trials, illness, isolation, the inability to do even the small things they once did, like talk, eat food. You know what I saw? Genuine faith. Because the test of the genuineness of their faith was happening in the context of our community. And it truly was my privilege to get to see it, to see how they rejoiced in the Lord, even in those severe trials, to see the certainty of their inheritance, to see them leaning on those promises of the past, believing in a better future. And I'm telling you, I believe with everything I've got, they are experiencing the fullness of their salvation today. It's become a reality for them. Now, I know this isn't a funeral message, and I'm not trying to turn it into one. But I do want to ask you the question we almost always ask at funerals. Do you have a certainty about your future? Can you say with certainty you have an inheritance waiting for you in heaven? Because if you can't say yes to that, today could be the day that that changes. Today could be the day that you accept the free gift of salvation offered to you in Jesus Christ. And you can lay claim to an inheritance kept in heaven that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And if you're here as a follower of Jesus, I want to call all of us to live like Joe and Neil with a joy in Christ that's not circumstantial, leaning on those promises 
with a faith that shapes and gives us joy today. Because believe me, people notice when elect exiles, foreigners who don't really fit into our culture, live their lives with this inexpressible joy, with this living hope, people notice and Jesus is glorified. Hey, let's pray. Lord, thank you for revealing yourself to us. That was an act of grace. Thank you that in your grace, you crossed the chasm that separated us from you. And so, Lord, this morning, help us believe these promises. Lord, as we sing in response to what you revealed to us, give us that inexpressible joy. Lord, my prayer is that all of us would be filled by the power of the Holy Spirit with living hope. Oh, great the chasm the chasm that lay between us how wide the mountain I could not climb come on church read all these words in desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night and through the
We celebrate this morning baptism, so you guys can take a seat for a moment. So this is Ezra, and Ezra is a follower of Jesus, and Ezra has quite a legacy of faith in his family. There are missionaries and pastors and chaplains. There's just a, an awesome legacy of faith in his family, and um, a while back, he became a follower of Jesus. Um, another thing that he's a part of is um, his dad, Colin, is a part of this really um, elite group of people that graduated from uh, West Fork High School in 1998. So I'm a part of that. There are only 72 of us in this world, and so, uh, so this is actually really exciting. So I've known Colin for a really long time, and it's really cool for me to get to baptize his son. And so I've known Colin as a follower of Jesus since we were in high school, and to see him raise his family and teach them what it means to follow Jesus, there's a legacy of faith uh, that's really, really exciting. So Ezra, you're telling me and all of these people that you're a follower of Jesus. <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't expecting that answer. And, uh, and you want to be obedient to him by being baptized here today. Okay. All right, let me pray for you. Jesus, I'm so grateful for Ezra, and I'm grateful for his faith in you. And God, I know that he's excited to let these people know that he's a follower of Jesus. And God, I know that he's excited to share your love with people all over the world. Father, he wants the gospel to be known among the nations. And I'm so grateful for that in him. And I pray that you would use him to help that happen. And so Father, we're grateful to get to celebrate his faith today, this living hope that is in him. We love you and it's in your name we pray, amen. I should turn around this way. There you go. Well, it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in the newness of life. Church, we stand as we sing, then came the morning. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your very body began to Sin 
victory. Some of the blood. And know the blood of Jesus washes me. Oh, the blood. And so the blood of Jesus shed for me. What a sacrifice that saved my life. Yes, the blood, it is my victory. Father, your blood is our victory. God, you are our hope and our promise keeper. So Lord, as we turn from this place and this space, would we go and worship you in workplaces and in homes and with family and with friends. Lord, I pray that you would go with us. Father, we need you in every moment of every day. So would you lead us and teach us by a word and by your people. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name. Fellowship Fayetteville, we're so glad you're here this morning. If you need prayer this morning, it's to our left, you guys, is right.